Thanks, Lucas and Steve and team. That was awesome. Well, hey, I want to ask, does anyone, and this is specifically, do you have a testimony of something awesome that's happened in your house group uh, lately? Maybe someone got saved or a healing or just something awesome happened. Does anyone have a quick story they'd like to share? Anyone got anything? Anyone Bueller? All right. Well, hey, um, we wish that wasn't the case. What, we, what we'd love to see is, um, and maybe this is a quick time, what we're talking about today. We're in week two of our series. It's a vineyard-wide series called Empowered. And this week, we're talking about the role of healing. We're talking about how, how faith and healing go together in the church. And one of the things that, um, two things that are essential in house groups I don't know if they're happening a lot, but if they're not, I encourage you, if you're the leader, if you're the co-leader, or if you're in a group, get on your leader, that to be doing mission. These, are, these groups are meant to multiply, and we want to invite people, not just to our house group or our church, but to the kingdom. So do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you have people you work with? People you live with in the neighborhood? Invite them to your house group. And I can tell you there's so many times when we go, God shows. So we invite people and all of a sudden like needs come out of the woodwork that you never knew. And God is faithful and he wants to meet those needs. He wants to meet the needs of people's lives and their relationships and their bodies and their minds and their hearts and their families. God wants to do amazing things. So I encourage you, who in here is in a house group that has done something missional as a group in the last two months? Raise your hand. All right, that's great. Now, raise your hand if you're in a house group. Please raise your hands high, there we go. All right, that's not enough. The point of these, what, do you remember what Moses said, that if you have up plus in minus out equals a cozy group, equals a cozy church. If, if your group is just meeting for prayer, for meals, and like a little gathering, and you're not going to live on mission, you're still in a small group. You're not in a house group. And house groups are meant to be a missional, multiplying uh, vehicle where people come to know Jesus through his power, through his love, through proclamation and demonstration of the things of the kingdom. So I encourage you, with that said, um, you will have house group testimonies if you go on mission. If you go on mission, you'll have house group testimonies. There'll be opportunities to pray for people. There'll be opportunities to show God's love. A lot of times we don't see God's power because we don't go. We just somehow, someone went to us, we come to church, and then we just kind of stay and we don't go anymore. And that's, that's the game changers when we go. The wise builder does what? Hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The wise builder hears, they obey, then you skip forward 21 chapters they share. The wise builder hears, obeys, and shares. And one of the things that's uh, made the vineyard movement the vineyard movement is there's been so much an emphasis on reaching the lost, on loving the poor, on healing the sick. We never want to lose that part of our essential DNA. That's the stuff that makes us the most like Jesus. The Pharisees studied the Bible. 
Satan can quote scripture, but Satan doesn't do outreach. Satan doesn't pray for the sick to get healed. Satan doesn't care about the poor, he enslaves them. And so I know I'm giving a little promo on house groups, but we want to promote what's happening in house groups. And if you're in a house group, go on mission together. Our group went uh, just a couple weeks ago to the Arrow, I don't know what the apartments are called over there on the corner of Arrow Parkway, like by Amazon. And we just went and we just set up shop and just took, you know, about 100 hot dogs and chips and water. And we just set up a table and we just, people came by. We gave away 80 hot dogs and people just came by and we got to talk, you know, and, and we got to handle the conversation somewhere between simple, between serious, and between spiritual. But what we want to do is we want to love our neighbors and we want to be spiritually obvious and we want to have a presence in our, in our neighborhoods, in our community. So um, enough about the house group stuff, but I, it really plays in what, what we're doing. So if you're on the fence about that, I encourage you to live on mission with your group. Like I said, we are empowered week two, the role of faith and healing. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I get the awesome opportunity to uh, be the leader of this team and uh, to be on the board of elders. And we're loving the things God's doing in our church in the vineyard the last couple of years. And one of the things that they kind of cooked up is, is uh, the vineyard is becoming an older movement. It's 50 years old now, almost. And we're at the kind of place in time where um, things can just get a little stale if you're not careful. And so the basic tenets of the vineyard have been anchored in the word, but walking in the spirit. Those have been basic tenets. And we thought that this series, well, uh, the leadership, uh, the national leadership thought it'd be a great idea to do this together to talk about the basics. So today we're gonna talk about faith, the role of faith in healing. There are lots of things that get conjured up when we hear the word faith. To some, like, it's pretty nebulous. It's hard to quantify. To others, there's a certain moxie or like a bravado about their faith. To some, it's bad or very overstretched doctrine that can make people feel loads of guilt and shame. Maybe if something didn't happen, like you, that didn't happen because you don't have enough faith. Or if you only have the faith that I have. Like I remember one time when I was, when I was a teenager, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say very long, and this, um, this church I was at was kind of TBN-esque. And we had this guy there with like, you know, his kind of white kind of mullet and his million dollar suit. And he starts going on about his faith. And he says, well, if you had faith like I have, you know, you'd be dressed like this or you'd have rings like this or you'd have that Ferrari like I've got. And I wasn't a Christian very long, but like I felt nauseated. And there was something about it that just felt off because faith Faith is not really, the basis of faith is not something we get. The basis of faith is something we give. Faith is what we give to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the impetus of obedience. Obedience is the thing that pleases the Lord Jesus the most. And you might have heard me say before, if you've been here any time, like obedience slash faith, we're gonna use those interchangeably today because I think that faith is proven by obedience and obedience is always underwritten by faith. That like when we give God our faith, when we give God our will, when we obey, we choose to give him the one thing in the universe he abdicates his right to. It says the earth is the Lord and everything is it. 
everything in it, the cosmos, everything belongs to God, except for our will. In love, he abdicates his right to our will and makes us free moral agents. He lets us decide if we wanna love him back with the love he gives us. He lets us decide. The reason faith matters so much is we give him something he doesn't have and something that he desperately wants, which is connection to you and me. That's why faith, that's why obedience matter to God. It's kind of how faith is how heaven and earth sync up. And just like this guy who said, um, you know, well, if you had faith like me, I, I mean, I, I can tell you, um, I don't think it always works like that. But I think faith is about receiving and tapping into the kingdom. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a... I'm a pastor, and when I hear the word faith, I sometimes still think of George Michael. <laughs> Baby, I know you're asking me to, you know, never mind. I don't sing as well as Lucas, because you got to have faith. Um, but what, what does faith mean? What does faith look like? Obedience. 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 It's interesting, in the Bible, faith is measurable to Jesus. Do you know that faith is a measurable substance? We see Jesus time and again, you of little faith, you of no faith, you of great faith. Like Jesus all the time kind of seems to grade people based upon their faith. Faith is really important. The, the kind of trifecta of what uh, Christianity is built upon, Paul talks about at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The kind of triumvirate that Christianity seems to be built on is faith, hope, and love. So faith is really important. We're gonna read a story today that... Um, You've probably heard or read if you've ever read the Bible much or you've been in church very much or maybe not. It's a great story about an interaction Jesus has with one of the most formidable enemies of the nation of Israel. It's found in Matthew 8. It's found in John 4. But we're gonna read it out of Luke 7. Luke 7 is Jesus' second longest sermon that we know he has the Sermon on the Mount, and then in Luke, he has the Sermon on the Plain. There's a lot of similarities, but I've heard people say, oh, it's contradictory. They're not the same sermon. So Jesus was talking about something a little different in Matthew and was talking about it a little different in Luke. They're not, they're not contradictory, but they're not, some people said they contradict because they're, they're not the same, and people call them both the Sermon on the Mount, and they're not. So here it goes. Okay, I uh, just scrolled all the way down. There we go. When he had completed all of his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Jesus had just completed, like I said, his second longest sermon. And a centurion. A centurion is a Roman officer. A centurion is a Roman officer that's over 100 men, hence the name centurion, like a century, okay? Um, six, six centurions and their men uh, made up a tribune. And... This fellow was not um, that we know part of a specific uh, like battalion or enclave that um, like in Capernaum. So that for this guy to meet Jesus like here in Capernaum, there were no known uh, uh, battalions there to our record. So if this guy met Jesus there <clears throat> is a little different. 
And because um, there were no known settlements of Rome there until AD 44, and we know Jesus uh, died somewhere between AD 27 and AD 33. And this guy was probably working for, um, at the time, Herod Antipas, who employed Roman contract soldiers. So in Capernaum, since there wasn't a specific uh, brigade there, this guy probably worked for Herod, uh, for Herod as his personal guard. And it's clear from the gospel descriptions that this guy was a Gentile, which is very important. Keep in mind. How many, how many Jews are in here, Messianic Jews? One, two. How many else? Do we have anyone else? Three. Everyone else, raise your hand and say, I am a Gentile. Yeah, you're a Gentile. And that's an important distinction in the Bible because to the Jews, it was the Jews and everyone else in the world, the Gentiles. So, um, very important here. So, this guy, um, this guy, a centurion slave, slave here doesn't mean like 1850s cotton-picking guy who's lashed. This actually was a guy who, this centurion slave was probably someone who worked for him who signed his life up to say, I want to live in the care of your household because the centurion was a private guard as we think of Herod, so he was probably paid well. So he had people in his house and the word they used were slaves. So it wasn't in the sense of like, of like a human traffic person. So it was a paid servant. And this guy was highly regarded by him. Matthew says in his gospel, the guy was paralyzed and in tremendous suffering and about to die. When Jesus heard, Jesus was becoming a local national celebrity by this time. That this guy specifically probably heard, Jesus of Nazareth is not far away and my servant's sick. And about that time, Jesus, um, when he'd heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders. Um, this isn't necessarily a declaration of of their age, these were men who were the high ruling council locally, or maybe from that, uh, you know, uh, municipality. It was an official or legal position. They called them elders, the people who were the rulers. So this guy, though, being a centurion, could look at the, the Jewish magistrates and tell them what to do because um, Israel was occupied by Rome, so this guy had more authority, so he could command the Israeli government to do what he wanted. So he told them, he sent them, and he sent um, the Jewish elders asking for Jesus to come to save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. Now, this wasn't something like this, they weren't talking about some title, like this guy is the president, or this guy is a senator. They were just saying that <clears throat> the, the wording used here is saying like, this is a good dude. He loves our people. And they say here that, um, for he loves our nation and he built us our synagogue. So this guy's been there a while and seems to care about the Jewish people. He says, he, they say he's worthy for you to grant this to him, for you to come to him. Um, not really like a birthright thing, but like he's a good dude. And then now Jesus started on his way and he was not far from the house. 
the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, which this is um, an interesting title. Uh, it's the word mar, which is a high title. It's like Lord. It's like not like Lord of the, of like an estate Lord. Like this is like this guy calling him God. So this probably caught the, uh, I don't know, a little bit of the rancor of the Jews, this guy calling Jesus Lord like this. He said, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So he's speaking to Jesus through these people he sent to talk to Jesus. He, and they're saying that you're not, I'm not worthy to have you even come to my house today. And this is, this is kind of a reference here. Um, this worthiness actually is talking about him being unclean as a Gentile. Jews were not allowed to go into the house of Gentiles. It made them unclean. So this guy sending for Jesus is saying like, hey, I just need you to come, but not all the way because I don't want to defile you and make you dirty. Though this guy had the right to tell Jesus to come because like I said, he was the high ranking official in the area and he was probably you know head of Herod's bodyguard or an upper soldier. So for him to say this, he could tell Jesus what to do, but he also respected Jesus enough as a Jew and say, I don't want to defile you. And he says this, do not trouble yourself further. <clears throat> For this reason, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. It's another reference, like I'm unclean. He probably sent Jewish servants to Jesus so as to not make Jesus unclean. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say this one go, and he goes, another come, and he comes. And so to my slave, do this, and he does it. See, like, this, this was true faith because this guy, um, this guy was, was thinking of Jesus on another level because the Romans thought the Jewish exercises of ritual cleanliness, not being able to fraternize with the Gentiles, they thought it was really goofy. They thought it was really silly. And this guy could have skipped all that and told Jesus, just come to my house and deal with the consequences. But his respect, his honor for Jesus um, seems to do something to Jesus. He says, for I'm a man, like he said, placed under authority. And it's not downplaying Jesus' authority compared to his own, but rather saying, if I, a piddly centurion, can wield authority, how much more you, the mar, the Lord? How much more you? Because he calls him, he basically gives him this God reference. And he's saying, listen, I get it. I got authority and I'm just a dude. I'm dude with a hundred guys. I'm a dude who can boss some Jewish guys around. But he's telling Jesus, you're the Lord. I know if I got authority, imagine the authority you have. I think that's important here where we're gonna go is I think sometimes like we, we treat Jesus like he's a buddy. We take, we take like the commandments of God as at best like maybe suggestive whims that we may wanna live into. 
This guy didn't do any of that. He knew what the Jewish law was. He honored God by it, and he referred to Jesus appropriately. I wanna ask you today, as we're talking about faith, do you treat Jesus just like he's a bro? Do you just kind of treat him like he's your buddy, like Jesus, your friend, Jesus, my BFF? Because I think if that's the way we treat Jesus, I think a lot of times that that would probably um, underscore the condition of our souls and maybe where we're lacking some things in our lives, where we're lacking the transformation, the power, the understanding, the um, self-control, the love. Now, Jesus heard this and marveled. Jesus marveled at him and turned to the crowd that was following and said, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. There was no greater roast that these people could have received. This centurion sends them, probably against their will, even though they're saying he's a good dude. It would have got back to him if they said he's a bad dude. This had to have been a roast for the Jewish people there. Say, the greatest faith I found was in this Gentile. And Luke accentuates this story that faith is not a a birthright thing or a merit-based thing. Just because you get saved or baptized, just because I give my life to Jesus, just because I go to church does not mean I have great faith. This guy wielded his faith by the way that he handled God. Today, we're gonna talk about faith and healing. Faith and healing is not just like you pray for a broken ankle and it gets better. Faith and healing is not like you just name it, claim it, and you stand on that, whether it's happening or not. That's not what faith is. The first position of faith is I acknowledge my place before you. You are Lord and I am not. You can do things that I can't. I believe you want better for me than I want for myself. I believe you want your kingdom to come on the earth and in my life. Without faith, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, it's impossible to please God. And it says, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So this guy knew Jesus didn't even have to come as he demanded or whatever. He just knew Jesus could do it from where he was. Do we have that kind of faith? I think a lot of us don't have some of the things that we're looking for in our lives or that we want in our lives because we have this demand. It's gotta come a certain way. Maybe some of our faiths are getting rocked a little bit because maybe my mom died or my wife died or my kid's gone or that didn't turn out like I hoped at work, or there, there's, there's myriad reasons that our faith can wane. But is our faith in the thing we wanted or in the Lord himself? And I think the difference between this centurion and other people, he said, listen, you're the Lord, you just say the word. He didn't demand anything. He would have never known if the people even got to Jesus except for that the guy was instantly well. Does, do our lives, do our lives speak to Jesus in a way that's just like, bro, or do they say, Lord, high king of heaven, holy one, 
you can do things I can't. And not just that you can do things, but because you can do those things, I submit my life to you. This guy said, I submit my authority. He gave up his authority by commanding Jesus. He could have called Jesus into his house, but he submitted his authority to the authority of Jesus and said, listen, you just come and say the word, you do whatever you want. Part of faith as a born again person is I submit my will, I submit my authority, I submit my stuff, I submit my schedule, I submit my family to you. Real faith starts with obedience of recognizing the position of Jesus. That's, that's where real faith starts. And we see Jesus says, I haven't seen faith in all of Israel. In all of Israel. Faith is very important to God. In the vineyard, we see the Holy Spirit as a healer. And we see that he's moved when we exhibit great faith, that God wants to heal people. What does faith look like? We see that Jesus measures faith. Are you a person, and I think our faith is best proved by our faithfulness. If I'm a person that's not faithful to what I say, I can't say I have great faith. If I don't keep my word, if you say you're gonna be on time, part of, part of people having faith in us is more faithful. If you flake out whenever you make a plan and you can just change on a whim, you're not a faithful person. If my eyes go to every other woman that walks down the street, I'm not a faithful husband. I might be trying to live into faith, but it doesn't mean I'm faithful. Faith is proved, in a sense, by faithfulness. And this guy exhibits in the story, Jesus marveled, marveled, like Marvel Comics, like Spider-Man Awesome, the response of Jesus, like if you saw Spider-Man. Jesus had this kind of response because most of the time, he was chiding people for their lack of faith. It's a big deal, people, to keep our word. It's a big deal to um, honor God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, because like, Jesus says that you don't swear. He says, you don't swear. He says, who of you, you know, you don't swear by the gold in the temple or a hair on your head. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his timeless work, Cost of Discipleship says, we don't swear because we're people of truth. And if we're people of the truth, then the truth lives in us. And so everything we say should be true. If you're born again, what you say should be true. Embellishing is not faithful to God. Lying is not faithful to God. Fudging is not faithful to God. Skimming over details or being taciturn to not share when asked the question is not faithful to God. Faith and faithfulness are interconnected. And it's very important as born again people that we understand this because Jesus marvels at it. And he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Who would say, I would love to see more miracles in my life happen, like happen in the book of Acts and in the Gospels? That's awesome. 
And that's what we want. If you didn't raise your hand, I, I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> because that's like, like, do you know that, that miracles um, for Jesus were actually part of the normal Christian life? Like Jesus says, don't marvel because of the miracles. He's like, that's, that's just par for the course. He even told the disciples when they came back from their big outing, Luke 9, 10, and 11, he says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you or the dead are raised, but rather that your names are written in heaven. He says, let that place of faith reside in the day when you gave your life to me. That's, that's, that's the crucible. And I, I think faith matters to God in the sense, Dr. Charles Montgomery of Vineyard Columbus says this, real faith expects a yes, but can endure a no. We can tell the truth even if it won't work out the best for us. We keep our word even if it's gonna cost us something. We honor God with our obedience in our lives even though it might be difficult because real faith expects a yes, that there's gotta be something in the things that, that we're doing that we believe there's something else beyond this. Because otherwise, otherwise, it's just kind of like a sadomasochism of just there's people that hurt themselves and do weird things and stuff like that. But it's like, this isn't just like an abnegation of self unto denying ourselves. That's not the point. The point is when we deny ourselves in faith or when we do the things God tells us, when we invite people to our house groups, when we forgive people, when we apologize, when we keep our word, do you know those are seeds that we're planting of the kingdom of heaven? That's living a faith-filled life is when we obey what Jesus told us to do. This centurion was obeying what he knew the word to say. He was the guy that built the temple. He says, you don't gotta come to my house, it'll defile you. You'll, you'll be unclean till sundown. You don't have to come, you're the Lord. You don't have to put your hand on him. I don't have to see like the talisman do the parlor trick. You're the Lord. If you say it, the one who spoke ex nihilo, that the world can come out of nothing, that could speak the light in the darkness, I know you could say from afar, he's well. This guy knew what God could do. And I think some of us um, need a shot in the arm of faith because maybe you're here today and your faith's waned because there's that thing you've prayed for, prayed for, prayed for, and it hasn't happened. And so you don't believe God's best for you. But this guy didn't demand anything of Jesus, he just asked. Faith believes for a yes, expects a yes, but can endure a no. And do you know that faith is the basis of authority that Jesus wields? I believe there's a lot of things in our lives, actually, that have not happened and God doesn't do because of lack of faith. I believe our faith, Jesus is like, if you have faith, you can tell this mountain to be moved. Do you know in faith, we can do great things. There's things that Jesus can do no one else can. There's this great book um, that I read years ago, The Circle Maker, by a pastor in Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson. 
And it's about like this dude, Noni. Noni was the circle maker. And basically, uh, Noni was this dude who um, had tremendous faith. And basically, um, like, I can't remember all the story, but the basic framework was, is Noni was up against some big circumstances and some big opposition. And he basically said that, like, in Jesus' name, we're gonna get in the circle and we're gonna draw this circle. And he said, it's gonna rain in the circle. There had been a tremendous drought. And he said, it's gonna rain in the circle. And the dude prayed, and there's written history, it prayed only in the circle Noni drew. And then he dials it up kind of like Elijah in 1 Kings 17, like dials it up, pours more water, pours more water on the, on the sacrifices. And says, hey, it will rain everywhere except for in the circle. In this historical account that it rained everywhere in the circle. And I've seen God do incredible things. I've seen God do incredible things. There was a time literally where we had a, when we uh, uh, like lived in Harrison and we were having a young adult thing at our house when we were still younger adults. Um, and Keith and Debbie came, but they weren't even really young adults then. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just messing with um, But we're, we're having this thing and people were coming and it was like, it was looking ominous and I'm grilling and I just like said, it's not gonna rain in my yard in Jesus' name. It rained in my neighbor's yard. It rained in the street. It didn't rain in my yard. And I just kind of said it. Seriously. It didn't rain. There was another time, there was a girl I was praying for that there was this girl who was kind of acting crazy and they, it was up in our, in like our youth building and we went up there and this girl's acting crazy and, and I, I don't know what I even said and I just, I don't even know why I said it, but she was manifesting demonic stuff. And she just kind of starts crying and starts faking. She's like, I, I just want to go home. I just want to leave. And I got this spidey sense that, like, it wasn't her talking. I said, hey, if that's you so-and-so talking, you can get up and go. And I said, but foul and unclean spirit, if that's you trying to trick us, your butt will not get off that seat till you come out of her. Literally, for the next 40 minutes, this girl is flailing. Every part of her body is coming off that couch except for her butt. I don't know why I said but. I just said it, but Jesus did it. Like, there, there's actually power. Like, there, there's actually things we can do in the kingdom that other people can't. There's things we can do in the kingdom when we have faith in God, when we trust God, and we give our lives to God that other people can't. I'm not saying that's always gonna happen, but sometimes there's things that are not gonna be unlocked unless we say them. And this guy knew it, and he's like, he... He believed for a yes, but he could endure a no because his prize, his prize wasn't if Jesus did what he wanted, he already believed him and received him as Lord. Do you receive Jesus as Lord that way? Or is your following of him dependent on him giving you what you want? Are you in the demand seat? Do you have a posture of your heart that kind of leans a little bit that says you're still the Lord, that you're the mar? If it is, Jesus says, hey, I'm not gonna share my glory with another. I won't be demanded. I won't be forced. And you see the Pharisees all the time. Give us a sign. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm out. You're not calling the shots here. 
And I think in our lives, sometimes we live our lives in such a way as if we're calling the shots. And I think that's why we don't see God move. I'm telling you, church, if we're going to see a move of God that we want, it's gonna, it's gonna take another gear. It's gonna take another gear. It's gonna take cleaning out our closets, literally, figuratively. It's gonna take giving up our lives. It's gonna take lessening what we hold on to in this life. It's gonna take a a full surrender to Jesus. But if we do, I mean, this stuff is is not crazy. It's not crazy. I'm telling you, when we follow Jesus, and I'm not saying I'm the best specimen, but I've seen God do incredible things. I prayed for a kid who didn't have a rib cage and you could see his heart and now he has a rib cage and you can't see his heart. Yeah, Jesus will do stuff like that. But it wasn't like I'm like something because I'll tell you what, I prayed for over 100 people before I ever saw one person healed. And one day someone got healed and it was pretty amazing. And I'm just like, I was, I was reflecting. I'm like, God, that's cool. Why did you finally show up? He said, because now I can trust you because I know that your prize isn't the healing, it's me. If we keep going for it unto failure, our prize isn't the thing that we're going for, it's him. Because he told me to pray for people, I'm gonna do it whether I'm successful or not. Because Jesus told me to be a faithful husband, I'm gonna stay in there and hang in there no matter how my wife behaves. I'm saying that for, uh, I'm gonna pay for that. Um, (laughs) But I'm just saying, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing for Carla, that her call is to be a godly wife no matter how I behave, which is, you guys know, is probably harder for her than me. (laughs) But do you know that's true for all of us? This isn't a Ryan-Carla conversation. That you are called to be faithful no matter what's thrown at you. That's the sign of great faith. It's not getting what we want. It's not on demand. We live in an on-demand world and God is not an on-demand God. But he wants to, he, at the same time, he wants to blow us away. Do you know Jesus wants to blow you away? There's things that, if you live into this thing called faith, that you'll see that other people won't. I mean, I've seen God just provide in the most miraculous ways monetarily with food, with weather, with healing. But I'm standing up here saying it doesn't always happen. I'm blind in one eye and I got a kid that's had 20 surgeries because she has six congenital heart conditions and he hasn't answered those prayers yet. But I'm not gonna quit praying for people because because I'm a cyclops or because my kid's got a weak heart. I'm not gonna quit because I didn't get what I wanted. No, I wanna press in and pour it back on the enemy. Like, dude, you wanna do this because like whatever? It's like, you know, let's, let's go. You know, I'm going after Jesus. I'm not trying to, I'm not gonna just cower because I didn't get what I wanted. John Wimber, who's um, one of the most seminal and founding figures in the Vineyard Movement, he prayed for over 500 people before anyone got healed, he says. And John Wimber had miracles by the truckload that changed a nation, that changed the world, that launched a movement. 
that we're all sitting here today. Is, and, and he kept going for it. And it was interesting because I had, like I said, probably 100 people before anything ever happened. And then I, I remember reading about like John Wimber. And I think if we just go for it, like is our prize Jesus or the thing we want? If our prize is Jesus, that's where faith is. Faith believes for a yes, but can endure a no. And faith is proved by how we lean in. Faith is proved by trusting the word of God. And I will say this, kind of going back to the house group thing, if we're not sharing our faith ever, sorry, if you never share your faith with anyone, you're not a faithful Christian. If I don't share my faith, I'm not a faithful Christian. Jesus says that the good seed will produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. How many people have led 30 people to Jesus, 60 people to Jesus, 100 people to Jesus? What if that's not figurative? If it's not figurative, we got, we got to get on it. And that might be hard to hear, but this is the stuff, this is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is not just for our best life now. It's Jesus saves and this world needs saving. Can I tell you about him? That's what the gospel of the kingdom is. And I know this stuff is, feels heavy hitting. We're not going for bunts and singles here sometimes. But this stuff is real. And Jesus says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now that said too, you can't just go tell everyone about Jesus and then be like an immoral slug on the back end either and think, that matters too. Like Jesus wants both. He wants people that are faithful and full of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to be faithful. And I can tell you miracles aren't really the account always of our faith because I've prayed for people before. My uh, a friend, a good friend of mine, Robbie Dawkins says, like Robbie does this thing where he prays for people and he'll only pray for the first person or two because he wants to show it's not about him. And we've been places before. Like I remember at a skate park, we're praying for these dudes and prayed for the first dude and he got healed. And I said, now you're gonna pray for her and she's gonna get healed. He prayed for her. He wasn't even a Christian. She got healed. She prayed for the next dude. He got healed. And I said, listen, this isn't, by, this isn't about me. I'm not some wonder worker. All they had to do was call on the name of Jesus and Jesus did the stuff. If the name of Jesus does the stuff in the mouth of someone who doesn't even believe him, what are we doing by not sharing with people? Imagine what he would do through your life, through my life, if we'll say, I will obey, I will go, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go to the ends of the earth, I'll sell my things, I'll downsize, I'll live more simply. If that's what it means for people to hear the gospel of the kingdom, I'll do whatever it takes. It's not just the miracles. Jesus wants to, you to be just as faithful in those things he whispers, like maybe like, go apologize. Go clean out your closet. Sell your very expensive vehicle and get a more modest one and buy that single mom you know a car. Send that person on the mission trip maybe you can't go on. Serve at the church. Wake up and pray at five in the morning for flow prayer. Whatever he's telling you to do, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we wanna be people that hear what God's saying, obey what he's saying, and share it with other people.
We don't want to be a people that pray weeny, wimpy prayers. And I think a lot of people never see, see the miraculous because of the fear of failure or because we're angry and we're disappointed from the last thing we didn't get. Is your financial situation tough? I encourage you to give your way out of it. Oh, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. Watch God's miraculous provision. I can't not work four jobs. Well, God says, I won't share my glory. I won't, maybe he's withholding a miracle because you're trying to make the miracle happen on your own. All this stuff is very counterintuitive, but in the vineyard, we wanna be people of great faith because we wanna see Jesus move in his kingdom to come on the earth. I'm gonna wrap up, but we fit a lot in today, but I, I wanna leave room for the Holy Spirit that if you would like a physical healing today, if you need a physical touch of God, we would love to pray for you. If you need a financial miracle, I'm not gonna name it, claim it, and say, put your hands on the screen, give me $500, and the Lord will give you 100. We're not doing that, okay? <laughs> this is not for hire. But if you need provision, God multiplies. Widow of Zarephath, God multiplies. The food for the 5,000, God multiplies. Jesus sent Peter, he said, go fishing, and the first fish you catch will have enough money, tax money, for both of us. Like, come on, that would be tight. So what do you need today? So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you bring healing in marriages, healing in relationships, healing in broken hearts, healing in bodies, healing in uh, finances, Lord, healing spiritually, healing mentally? Would you come, Holy Spirit, today? Would you meet us in your great love, Father, and let us be people of great faith who expect a yes but can endure a no and help us to understand that great faith resides when you're our prize, not the way you answered our prayer. We love you and we receive you and we believe you. And we offer these things to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, prayer teams, come on up if you'd like to.